Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Sharon, welcome to the studio. Oh, so good to be in here. I know. It's been quite a while, but uh, today's a good day. It is a good day. It stopped raining, and we have one yeah. of our favorite guests in here we today. We do. We do. Welcome, Sandy. Well, it's good to be here. It's been a long time. It has been Haven't several won, months. have but one fishing tournament since I saw you last. <laughs> oh, wait, but wait. you're going to another I one I won next one week. and lost one. Yeah, next week we're going to do the Pirate's Cove down in Manio, North Carolina. Oh, nice. So how much did you win on the one? That, it was a little tournament. It was a local tournament in May in Hatteras Village, and uh, we called a Blue Mar that won it for us that weighed 574 pounds and uh, the boat prize was 55,000. Nice. So nice. peanuts, you know, compared know. to the big rock. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, Only one. But it pays, it, it pays the bills. Well, That's it, right. and That's it right. pays for your entrance fee because the entrance fees are not Cheap. that's right that's right yeah now the big rock your entrance fee is what six thousand uh the entrance fee is usually depends on how many categories you're in but you got to be in them to win them yeah and so we get in like most of them and uh yeah so it's six thousand a piece and there's six people that's six people on a boat wow and this year for the big rock they had 270 boats money man you figured it up wow Thirty-six thousand a boat you know 270 Ooh. boats no wonder they can pay out the million-dollar right. prize. That's right. Yeah. Isn't that something? That's right. Wow. Good for them. That's awesome. Well, is Michael Jordan in it again this year? His boat was. I'm not sure he was there. I didn't hear as much about him being yeah. uh, around. But I know his boat was. Interesting. He, he does that. He's got the basketball team. He's got he's well rounded. You know, Nike and that. Now he started you know racing NASCAR. He's got no a NASCAR way. team. Yeah, 23XI, I think, is is his NASCAR team. So, uh, yeah, he's got a little bit going on. What a well-rounded Billionaire man. status. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, good for him. 
Well, Sandy, welcome back. We want to welcome our listeners today as well. And we're going to be talking about something that I think was a little controversial in the beginning, just a little bit. Um, oh, is anything ever not controversial in the CRNA community? Uh, well, we're going to be talking about the doctoral task force today, uh, how it was composed, what the original purpose was, the process, and then obviously what the outcome was at that time, and maybe even talk about where we've come from there for a few minutes. So, Sandy, I'll let you take it away. Okay, well, I think we should start at the beginning about some events that led to the appointment of the doctoral task force. And we always have to keep in mind, since the formation of our American Association of Nurse Anesthetists in June of 1931, a major goal has been to advance quality education as a means to ensure that CRNAs are best prepared and very safe anesthesia providers. And in 1933, that pretty much was ingrained through Gertrude Fife that we've talked about already. And she was the one that had the vision for standardization of our programs. Remember back then, every hospital had their own program, and there were no standards, there were no criteria, and everybody just kind of did their own thing. And uh, from the work of Gertrude Fife and Helen Lamb that we've talked about previously, we moved on to certification, national certification, and also accreditation of our nurse anesthesia programs, which is quality assurance in our nurse anesthesia programs. And certification, as we recall, began in 1945, and accreditation began in 1952, and was recognized this function by the U.S. Office of Education in 1955. Now, it's important for our listeners to understand that in those days, the parent organization did it all. They did certification and accreditation and membership and all of those types of things. And it was working pretty well because you had to be a member. You had to be certified to be a member of the AINA, and they were pretty heavily linked. However, a challenge brought against this function of ANA by the American Society of Anesthesiologists before the U.S. Office of Education at a time when they were changing their criteria for recognition and approval occurred in the early 1970s. And as a result of that, we got our autonomous councils, which today would be the NBCRNA Council on Certification and Recertification and the Council on Accreditation. So that's a backdrop. It's always been paramount in our mind. But in the 1980s, our nurse anesthesia programs moved from hospital-based certificate programs to university-based graduate programs. And I remember that very vividly because in 1982, I was appointed program director of what now is the nurse anesthesia program at Wake Forest University, and I didn't have a degree. And they were moving to move into bachelor's and master's education. So guess what that did for me? It gave me two jobs, as Sharon (laughs) can probably attest to. You work all day, and then you go to school at Uh, night, or you study at night. And and so during that time, I obtained my bachelor's degree. And then about the time I finished that, 
our education committee and our, our organization was really moving to have a master's entry level for all graduates. And I didn't have a master's degree either. <laughs> and there you go again. So, there you go. <laughs> so, so here, here we go again. And um, so um, I did complete that. And, and then <laughs> so talk about lifelong learning right, that, that's right, right. It, it, we're talking about you know someone said isn't it wonderful we're going to all have masters and i could say i'm going back to school and again and the same old same old and i said well i think i'm going to be in school when i'm 65 <laughs> and on social security and i hope that i get homecoming queen at that particular time. <laughs> and um, so I wasn't in school um, when we went into the doctoral uh, by 2025. But interesting enough, and one of the greatest honors of my life was Wake Forest University bestowed on me an honorary doctorate yep. in 2017. So I, I am on Social Security when I got that. <laughs> but I, I really didn't have to go back to school. You didn't school. have to work as hard for that well, wait. Uh, so were you homecoming queen then? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get a homecoming queen. You know. Well, we'll have to get you a little tiara. Uh, so, um, you know, so we, we wanted to have all of our programs at a master's level by 1994, and it didn't happen then. But by 1998, that was a reality. So we were really thinking about next steps before we were stimulated. By <laughs> That's a-, a good way of putting it. <laughs> by, by somebody else. A-A-C-N to move forward on this. So so what happened? Well, in October 2004, the American Association of Colleges of Nursing. Now, who are these people? Mm-hmm. Well, these are the <laughs> ac- these are the academic deans yes. of all of our universities uh, where okay. our schools of nursing are housed. They adopted a position statement on the practice doctrine for all advanced practice nurses for entry by the year 2015. Now, that was in 2004. So it sort of caught us by surprise a little bit. AACN announced a position, they said, after review and consultation with multiple stakeholders. Well, did that include the CRNA no, community? No, it did not. It did not. Isn't that interesting, they even say, though we were the first APRN, right? Right. We so. were the first to specialize beyond general duty nursing and Somehow, they never contacted the ANA or the Council on Accreditation. So when ANA and COA learned the intention of AACN, they notified first all program directors. And um, I don't remember exactly how many programs we had at that time, but it was a substantial amount. They also sent a letter of concern to Polly Betnash, Mm -hmm. who was the executive director of AACN, and had met multiple conversations with her that talked about problems that our programs would face in moving to a doctoral or DNP by 2015. However, on October 25th, 2004, AACN voted to accept the position statement and transition all APN education to a doctorate of nursing practice by 2015. And it's interesting, the vote was 162 yes, 101 no, and 13 abstained. So these were the deans of all of the nursing programs voting. Yes. Isn't that like putting the fox in the hen house? Isn't that something? (laughs) And and, and what? There's only ever, how many deans have there been that were CRNA? Scott Foster was a dean. Yes. uh, And 
and John McFadden mm-hmm. also. But other than that, that's pretty well, much there, it. Well, there have been some others, um, Jerry Felton, okay. years, years ago. Uh-huh. But she was not that involved in A&A. She pretty much was academic. Not very many, really. Yeah. 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 And um, so what this led to then, in June of 2005, President Frank Mazarowski and the board convened an invitational summit meeting to discuss the interest and concerns surrounding doctoral preparation for our nurse anesthetists by 2015. You see, we could not ignore this Mm. because when you look at our nurse anesthesia programs, about half of these programs are housed within academic departments within schools of nursing. So we couldn't ignore it. And I happened to be invited to attend the summit meeting and it was very, very helpful. And it moved us forward so that by 2005 and moving on to 2006 and seven, a doctoral task force was appointed by two presidents, really. Brian Thorson approached me about this possibility during the summit. But since it would also go into Terry Wicks's year, mm-hmm. they sort of decided together. And they decided at that particular point in time that it would be a task force co-chaired by me and Dr. Denise Martin Sheridan from New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would be managed, the task force would be managed by the very capable Betty Horton, who was the former um, executive director of the Council on Accreditation. And she is a master, a taskmaster and a master of getting things done. So that sort of leads us up to the appointment of this task force. But as an initial statement, the task force met for the first time in December of 2005, and our report was uh, submitted in 2007. So we worked pretty quickly. But the first thing we did was develop a position statement, an interim position statement that was supported by the board of directors. And what it said before we even began our investigation, the ANA encourages professional development for nurse anesthetists up to the doctoral level. However, evidence currently does not support mandatory clinical doctoral degrees for entry into nurse anesthesia practice. The ANA will make a decision on this matter following stakeholder input, data collection and analysis, and a thorough assessment of the potential impact of requiring clinical doctorate education on the profession and the public we serve, end of quote. So we began our functions and we began our work, and I think this was very important, this position statement, because it really speaks to, we recognize the members and the membership organization, and we're not going to do anything unless we really get an in-depth analysis Mm -hmm. and a lot of information from the members, and I wish people today would pay a lot more attention to that than it seems that they do sometimes. Well, you know, the thing that I would run into after all of this Mm -hmm. transpired and I was president when already that water was over the dam, and people would come after you about it, but this train was not driven by us. That's right. That's and right. what's odd is everybody jumped off the train except right. for us, right. and we were the ones who didn't want to be on the train. In the beginning, yeah. In the beginning. That's right. And we're still the only ones that have followed through, as aren't we? As far as I know, as, a, as the entire organization in 2025, yes. we will be the only one that will have a total 
entry level for new graduates now, in that year. This is kind of off topic, but it still kind of bothers me that they don't work on the the front end they just are at the back end in other words we're still debating something i'm an old adn grad actually i'm a young adn grad but you know we're not address nursing's not addressing the entry level because whenever i first got my adn they said one day you'll be a lpn at a two-year and then yeah that's what the, mm-hmm. back then in the 80s that's what they said this community college degree will be an lpn and you will only be an RN if you are a baccalaureate prepared. And so that's why I went ahead and went back to school, yeah. even back then. And they still haven't addressed the front end entry level, but they have on wow. the end. That's right. That's true. That's a good observation. So, Sandy, who was appointed to this task force? Yeah, we missed some names. Okay. So all of the task force members were CRNAs. Now, that was very different from the only commission that ANA has ever appointed, which I had the opportunity to chair, because there was many people that were not CRNAs on that commission, and uh, that was very successful as well. And as I said, Betty Horton was project manager, and uh, I co-chaired this task force with Denise Martin Sheridan. It's interesting that when we first started, it was going to be the DNP task force. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we did is change our name uh, because we believe it should be the doctoral task force, not just the DNP. True, because most people don't know what DNP is outside of our community. And that, plus we don't want to limit it to the DNP. It could be the research doctorate, the PhD as well. Now, additional representatives was Mike Falacaro, Ed Thompson, Mara McAuliffe, Michael Dorsch, Kathy Farrell, Joe Pellegrini, and uh, John Westbrock. There were also representatives from each of our council, Becky Gamcato, Michael Creamer, David Norman, COC, Richard Roulette, COR, and Mark Smiths, the council of, of practice at that particular time. And uh, so it was it was a pretty good size task force and the task force was charged this is important with developing options relative to doctoral preparation for the nurse anesthetists for the ANA board to consider and um, we held numerous meetings we conducted surveys uh, we held open hearings at AANA national meetings we looked at the risk and the benefits and obstacles to doctoral entry for nurse anesthetists. We debated them, as Sharon, you mentioned, and the members debated them. You know, what's the advantages, what's the disadvantages, strengths, weaknesses, and so on. And we also looked at an analysis of state and regulatory issues and how that would be impacted by changing the academic credential. And concern we had regarding AACN developed DNP essentials shared with the AACN president Mm -hmm. because, you know, and and those are still, you know, important for our programs within schools of nursing, but all of our programs aren't within schools of nursing. And so that was important. So these were the people that were on our task force. Very good. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn 
with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. So tell us again about the whole charge that was given to the task force. Okay, so it was uh, to develop options relative to doctoral preparation of nurse anesthetists with the ANA board to consider. And also not, I didn't say a minute ago, but also they wanted timelines. Oh, you know, isn't that fun? Because <laughs> AACN, AACN was looking at 2015. 15. Yeah. Mm. And um, so the procedure was followed in gathering information. It was really in, in two phases. The first phase consisted of communication with nurse anesthesia educators and practitioners and students. We also received information and feedback from a variety of groups at our different meetings, mm-hmm. whether it be the Assembly of States it was called then or the Assembly of School Faculty. There were articles that appeared in the ANA Journal and News Bulletin. And um, we really tried to get the entire group involved in what we were doing and get their input right? because it was going to affect all of us. And the second phase of activities consisted of analyzing all the information that we obtained during the first phase, including a literature search and analysis of existing data from the ANA and councils. So this whole process was from December 2005 until February of 2007. And it was a lot of information. The report that can be obtained from the ANA, if anyone is interested, is almost 300 pages long. Wow. And uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to do a summary of that right now. All right, so uh, looking at these options again, so what what options did we really um, decide upon? Well, there were four options we felt that the ANA Board of Directors should consider. One would be a mandatory doctoral degree for entry into practice by 2025. Okay. And uh, So why do we pick 2025? Well, at the time we were doing this, one I think 1.2, somewhere like that, it was very low, of our CRNAs were doctorally prepared. Hmm. And that included attorneys. And we have a fair amount of attorneys, mm-hmm. JDs. Mm-hmm. We did not have the faculty, nor would we have the faculty, to accomplish this by 2015. Right. It took us 20 years to go from diploma bachelor's to master's education for all in 1998, it was going to take almost that long. If we did it right and did it well, which we did, to move into the doctoral degree. The second mandate, do not mandate the doctoral degree for entry into practice. And um, that was an option too. The third was to provide support for programs that select to transition to the doctoral degree. Just let them do it if they want to and support them along the way but not mandated. And then the fourth option was mandate the DNP for entry into clinical practice. There was absolutely no support from the task force on this because we felt it should not be just the DNP. It should be doctoral education broadly. Mm -hmm. So in addition, we, in our work, presented with a business plan for the top two options 
of recommendations and activities to fulfill the recommendations and any resources that would be needed for implementation. And I give another shout-out to Betty Horton because she's always the one that says you can't just give it to them without telling them how it's got to be done and what's, what we're mm-hmm. going to yeah. need to do it. Right. And timelines were suggested, and we, we had some real discussions about those timelines as well. So at the June 2007 meeting of the Board of Directors, there was unanimous support, and the Board adopted the position supporting doctoral uh, education for entry into nurse anesthesia practice by 2025. So as you said, Sharon, that was 10 years later than what AACN said they were going to do, but we did it. Yeah, and <laughs> yes, exactly. And while I had forgotten the number, but I just found here that it's less than 1% of all nurses have a doctorate. So think about what that's going to look like in the future. CRNAs will be 100%. Right. And we're going to inflate those numbers right. within yeah. the nursing community. So we're going to be leaders again. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> We return to our base, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> Where it all began. Exactly. You know, it still just confounds me that they left us out of that whole process. Mm. And then everybody jumped off the train. We stayed on it. And so here we are again. CRNAs are always leaders. Smartest people I know. Looking back, how could that have been different have we interjected ourselves in the process better with aacn i know a crna did chair the dmp task force essentials revision john yeah. mcfadden uh-huh. so at least we've interjected ourselves somehow but well maybe aacn is looking at the value now Ooh. of the crna community mm. and uh-huh. again a shout out to john mcfadden he's yes. a great guy and a great person to do that i'm not really aware myself of um the communication and so forth now but that's certainly a step forward yes it is so, way to represent john yeah <laughs> yeah sandy so you guys are looking at all these options and so forth you want to talk about some of that and maybe advantages disadvantages and things you guys were thinking and going through at that time yes yeah, so, um well number one doctoral degree for entry into practice by 2025 and that was what the board eventually decided and our rationale for selecting this option included the doctor is a recognized expert, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it would increase knowledge and expertise in practice, we felt. It would also provide parity with other practice doctors, mm-hmm. such as speech pathologists, pharmacists, and many, many more. The degree would prepare the expert clinician and also advance leadership and management skills. and. This option would provide the profession the opportunity to develop the curriculum template to prepare the expert clinician beyond the master's level. That's what we were looking for with that option. Some potential advantages. Few additional credits will be required to move most nurse anesthesia programs to the doctoral Mm -hmm. level. However, for every program, it's another year. Right. You yeah. Know. And fortunately for the program that I was uh, involved with my whole career, we stayed at 24 months, mm-hmm. even at the master's level. So now It was I, a hard 24 months, I'm just <laughs> here to say. There was no rest That's for the right. weary. That's right. <laughs> Sharon, tell me something. What, what was harder, that nurse anesthesia program or your doctorate oh, from Yale? Oh, Jesus. You know, it's funny you ask that question because – 
I tell people it took less time to learn how to give anesthesia, and it was very hard. This was harder, but I think it was because it was not something I loved. You know, I loved giving anesthesia. And when you love something that much. It's not work. It's not work. I mean, from the first day I stepped in the OR, which was three weeks after we started the program, because that's the way Sandy designed it. Your butt was in the operating room. And I loved it. I knew I was supposed to be there. I still love it. But it was stretching me. And it it was hard. Plus, going back to school when you're 55 is not plus you're still working full-time yeah basically yeah it's not easy (laughs) yeah so a lot of different factors yeah your brain is different yeah you learn a lot differently would enter into saying one is harder than the other but it was harder yes i perceived it was harder (laughs) so the other potential advantage we looked at is um we felt that our programs would remain competitive with other advanced practice nursing specialists. And I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. I felt it then. I feel it now. We were the first specialists beyond general duty nursing, and we certainly don't want to get left behind on the 90th anniversary and, of the AANA. Yeah, and we're still the only ones that mandate continuing education hours. I mean, right. they recommend. I mean, it's not mandated the way it is for huh. us. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. But there was, you know, when I was chairing the commission, we were all in sync. We were dying. Yeah. We had to get these programs increased or the number of graduates per year increased. Right. This was not like that. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of discussions and heated discussions from time to time with some of the members of the task force. And some of the disadvantages that was pointed out is loss of the clinical expert prepared at the master's level who then transitions to the doctorate. There was always concern of dilution of the curriculum and the mm-hmm. content. Yeah. And I've always said we can prepare people at a PhD level, but if they don't know how to maintain an airway, they're mm-hmm. not going to be employed past 8 o'clock on Monday morning. That's yeah. right. Bottom yeah. line. And there's no ev- there was no evidence to support the conclusion that doctoral preparation would improve patient safety. It just wasn't mm-hmm. a connect there. And we were, wor- we were worried about closure of programs, unwilling or unable to offer this. Because some of our programs in universities were not seated in universities that could offer doctoral education. Well, and their faculty were not all That's doctoral right. That's prepared. right. Hmm. There was no additional federal funding for this. You know, our students are eligible for the Nurse Traineeship mm-hmm. Act in their generic program. But there was no extra federal funding for this. There still isn't, right? As far as I know, there's not. And we did worry, although it was not our greatest worry, of loss of support from administration, including anesthesiologists who fund some of our programs. Now, it was very interesting as we moved through this, I learned something that really surprised me. I found that some of the anesthesiologists did not care if we prepared our graduates with the research doctorate, but they were very opposed to the DMP. Hmm. Hmm. Because and they're a clinical doctor. That's right, because it is a clinical doctorate. A DMD oh. is a doctorate, just like a DNP is a doctorate. Yes, it is. And the highest, of course, echelon is a research doctorate. They right. didn't mind that. but um, They just didn't want the clinical doctor. That's right. Huh. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Makes it a is. lot of sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was threatening. Because then we're equal again. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and then we worried, too, that 
applicants will seek additional models, such as medicine or perhaps AA programs. Mm. You know, as we add more and more and more at a university level, three years now, most places you're at least 100000 you know, for your tuition, yeah. not, mm-hmm. not including, you know, living expenses and all of that. And where is the bar where people said, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going right. on to be a physician. But even at that, I still believe that we are the best kept secret and our return on investment over a lifetime, mm. even with doctoral education, is better than most. Oh, absolutely. You know. And so that was the one that was selected. Option two, do not mandate a doctoral degree for entry into practice. And the people that supported that felt there is no evidence the doctoral degree will prepare more qualified or competent CRNA than what we were doing at the master's level. There was no evidence that doctoral degree would improve patient safety. Still didn't. Right. Those that have influenced public policy the most have not always been those with doctoral degrees. Amen to that. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's possible that mandating the doctoral for entry may cause nurse practice acts to open and may cause regulatory changes at the state level. We were mm. worried about that. And we were worried that in a gap year, you know, by going to that third year, we would be graduating less people that alternative providers would fill the void created mm-hmm. at that time. We're here at 2022, that incoming class. So it's going to be interesting to see if we really have that dip, because I remember the big talk about the dip and how many graduates we would we would have, because mm-hmm. you're going to have that extra year. Yeah, it depends on how the program is structured. Okay. Like at Wake Forest, I'm familiar with that. This year, they're bringing in some of their class will be getting the master's okay. and graduating, as we always have. But a certain number of them will be DNP and do all their classroom DNP work this year. Mm-hmm. And then they will go next year into the anesthesia part. So here, could, so you're saying they potentially could still work for that one year? Well, the one year, yeah. the way it's structured right now. This may be the only year I'm not is much in, involved right. in it, but I do know, I just recorded yesterday, or no, it was Thursday, something on the history of anesthesia for the incoming class, mm-hmm. and a number of those will just be at home, carrying on their life as usual, fulfilling the credits for the doctorate. Right. But some will come in and do the master's just like they always have. Yeah. Well, you know, whenever so, we tra- I was in the second class. Mm-hmm. that you transitioned to the master's. Mm-hmm. And whenever I knew I wanted to go to anesthesia school, the year that I wanted to go, I started the master's piece and took all those credits before because, you know, I had three small children. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm hearing you say these kids are doing. Yeah, and uh, so I don't think here we're going to see the, the gap. Mm-hmm. There will always be a Somebody. flow of graduates, Okay, which was a very smart thing for yeah. this faculty to it's do. It's going to be interesting to see if we see the dip after yeah. 2025, yeah. but I think there's more programs now than when this task force. There are. There's so, at least 120 to 125 yeah. programs I hadn't looked recently, but they, they are there. Some potential advantages of this option, too, is maintains the quality of the educational system already in place and it maintains the number of competent nurse anesthetist providers required to meet the 
workforce demands. Some disadvantages, other professions are moving to the doctorate. And if we don't, didn't do it, this may result in loss of image mm-hmm. and prestige with CRNAs. And it may also lead to some of our brightest and best students not coming to us because they want to pursue doctoral studies when other groups are doing this. And uh, so these are some things that I remember that we talked about there. Option three, you recall, is to provide support for programs that transition to the doctoral degree, but not mandated. And so the support for that came from the fact that it's consistent with the ANA philosophy that diversity among our nurse anesthesia programs expands the perspective of faculty and graduates in addressing issues facing the profession and patient care. It maintains viability of programs that are unable to offer a doctoral degree. It provides options for applicants so they can do either. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, in this, this year, this transition year that we just talked about at Wake, some of them will just finish their master's. Mm-hmm. And it encourages those programs that wish to move to doctoral levels to do so. Some advantages was this was a flexible plan, and it would give us time for faculty development and programs could move at their own speed, and it would maintain the diversity of degrees. Allows for doctoral uh, option program for CRNA so they continue to practice and provide anesthesia services into their community. They could get their doctorate after they became a CRNA Mm -hmm. and increase the number of doctor-prepared CRNAs who would transition into education and management positions. Some potential disadvantages of this option there would not be a common degree, mm. and we worried about that. Yeah, We were coming out, we were all going into bachelor's, and by 1998, we were, all of our people were receiving a master's degree. Now, some of it was a master's in nursing, some of it was a master's in other areas, but it was a master's degree. And we felt that that would be a big disadvantage, that there would be a lack of common degrees. Mm-hmm. Some would be master's, some would be doctorate, Well, we've dealt with this for a long time. Yeah. And programs would be at different educational levels, and there would be no additional federal funding to support doctoral education. So that didn't get a lot of support. Mm -hmm. This option didn't from us or the board. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And then option four, mandate the DNP for entry into nurse anesthesia practice. Our rationale for supporting this option is that AACN Essentials document for nursing community identified the need to move advanced practice nursing to the doctoral level to practice. The AACN advocates the DNP and the DNP curriculum as a template for all advanced practice specialties. And we were just gonna be stubborn. I guess. You know. um, Shocker. So some advantage of them doing that is a common degree would be awarded, a common curriculum would be followed, and common entry into advanced practice nursing. However, not all of our programs are in schools of nursing. Right. You know? Yeah. And so some potential disadvantages, and the one that I worried and still worry about, I'll put it here, I still worry about, 
the potential to dilute the clinical mm-hmm. component of nurse anesthesia programs. Yep. You cannot handle too many difficult airways. When you find yourself at 2 o'clock in the morning yeah. as the only anesthesia professional in mm-hmm. that operating room with I can't intubate and can't ventilate scenario. You yeah. know, the scariest thing on earth. That's the truth. And it takes a lot of clinical practice to be able to get out of situations like that. So that was a big one. And we didn't feel like the AACN curriculum prepared the clinical expert. It weighed too heavily in courses that are not essential. I call them fluff courses. Yes, that's <laughs> and, good. And, you know, deans and some faculty outside of us, they want to teach what is close to them. And if you don't watch it, they're going to be teaching all the things that's not going to help that nurse anesthetist safely administer anesthesia to patients. Many of them don't know what we do. Oh, they They, don't. They do not know what we do, and um, they don't understand, and they think we're just an assistant to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that, is true. That is not the case. And the faculty would have to have nursing degrees, you know, if we followed all that AACN essentials. Really? Faculty. I don't have a nursing degree. I went at night to some university that could offer me a degree, and it was a a bachelor's in biology from Guilford College and a master's in education from University of North Carolina, Greensboro. I don't have a nursing degree. Because you're a diploma. I was a diploma. So you're a certificate nurse. I'm a certificate diploma nurse. Isn't it interesting that I was inducted inducted into the academy? Without a nursing degree. Without Very few people... have ever come into the academy without a degree in nursing i don't know if it was overlooked we're not going to tell them now (laughs) (laughs) i I, I really don't think it was uh it was ron calk and myself uh, neither had a degree in nursing and we were inducted i think heavily because of all the work we did Mm -hmm. in the founding of the international federation of nurse anesthetists and so we felt that this would bring confusion in the eye of the public and we're always worried about funding. Again, loss of support, including anesthesiologists who fund the program. That was less of a concern here right. with the DNP. I mean, it, it was with the DNP. It wouldn't have been if it was a research doctorate. And again, you know, applicants may select other options. You know, so so these were the four options with timelines, and the board selected doctoral entry, not just DNP but doctoral entry for all entering the field by 2025. So as you correctly said, most programs are going to be a three-year program. And so that's right around the corner. So the programs that are coming in in 2022 Mm -hmm. will be all coming into the doctoral. So this is the only year, though that I know of, they'll have that gap year. At, at, Wake. at Wake. Yeah. Now, yeah. didn't some programs, and I could be totally wrong, set it up where you finish your anesthesia in two years and then you can go out and practice and your third year is basically working on your doctoral? Did anybody do uh, that or was that yeah, even no, you, an option? You couldn't it, do that. You couldn't do that. You know, with this option that was selected by the board, it's clear that every graduate by 2025, will enter the profession doctorally. Well, I guess you couldn't make them after they left and they're given anesthesia. Yeah, that's true. And the model I was thinking of is there are several nursing models where 
you get your LPN after your first year, and mm. you continue in school to get your right. REN, get your but RN. you can work yep. as an LPN. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think it's clean. Yeah, that's cool, true. And uh, yeah, and we're on the move. So that's that's the options. And so, do you have any cautionary tales for? directors now now that you've gone to uh we we're going to the doctorate level i mean i understand you don't want to dilute the program and i love what you always say and i've said it myself if you can't maintain an airway doesn't matter what letters you got (laughs) behind your name yeah i think when we look at uh where we are today we're almost at the top of the mountain Mm -hmm. and very soon Mm -hmm. by 2025 every one of those over 2,000 graduates, I don't know how many, but certainly over 2,000 will be entering our profession with doctoral preparation. I think we were smart, both the task force in recommending and the board for accepting, setting the goal 18 years in the future. Yeah. You know, there's no way we could have done that yeah. by 2015. We just weren't prepared. Could any of the nursing Apparently not. Well, I don't think they did. <laughs> that is that is true, but it's mm. the major thing was faculty, you yeah. know. Yeah. And um, and we now have adequate faculty, so programs are not in danger as they would have been as we tried to march ahead with the mandate of 2015. But as I said, and very important, since. Half of our programs are in schools of nursing and half are not. We must never lose sight of the protection that's fine with our council on accreditation mm-hmm. and standards and criteria that keep our focus on the clinical expert in anesthesia. Because if we don't have that, these program directors can be pushed in universities by people yeah. higher up on the totem pole mm-hmm. than them to develop educational plans that will not allow us to educate competent, uh, safe practitioners when they graduate. Mm. And so, you know, we've always got to protect the COA, and that takes care of all of our programs, whether they're in or without schools of, uh, of nursing. And we must never lose sight of how important this is. If we ever lose the ability to have our autonomous accrediting body as Gertrude Fife envisioned in 1933, our educational process will be in danger, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. Um, if it all goes to university accrediting bodies. This is very protective of us because I remember as a program director, once we got into the university in 1988, I guess it was, at the University of North Carolina Greensboro, and I was in a school of nursing at that time, and uh, you know pushed to do things that I didn't think was good for the clinical expert, and mm-hmm. it was always protective to me to say that our council on accreditation right. will not yeah. allow us to do that, and mm-hmm. um, so that's very <clears throat> important, and I think we as a body should never lose sight that CRNAs are hired and paid for the exceptional jobs they do in anesthesia because of their skill, safe anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not paid for the doctorate. We're paid 
for the CRA day. That's right. Yeah, that's and, right. you know, when these graduates enter the field, they pass the certification exam, their employer, all they're going to ask is, are you certified or appropriately recertified or now CPC compliant? Yep. Will you work for me? And how much do I have to pay you? That's that's basically yeah, the whole well, thing. Well, I know I've asked CRNAs, where where'd you go to school? And some of them will say to me, well, do you mean CRNA school or where did I get my doctorate? And I said, you know, nobody cares where you got your doctorate. We just I just want to know where you went to school so I know if you can maintain an airway. But yet, I will tell you, whenever it came time for me to go back, I did call Sandy Number one, she that was the last time I went to school and I had to have an academic recommendation and I was the only one standing. <laughs> Good thing I hadn't died yet, Sharon. I know. What in the world would I have done? Um, so whenever I talked to her about the options I was looking at and she strongly encouraged me to go to Yale, but her rationale was and obviously I listened was everybody's going to have a DMP yeah. you still need to have something that, that differentiates you because you're different anyway <laughs> yeah you're special uh, yeah well that short bus still runs but back to Gertrude Fife I went back and looked at it's episode 126 and it's worth going back and listening to what a visionary she was yeah. and that was 80 do the math you know, you're 88 years ago, mm-hmm. right? No. Yeah, just no, 87. 87. 87. 87. Yeah, because yeah. we're celebrating our 90th. Yeah. And so sorry we can't get oh. to Austin for our 90th anniversary. I hope, beyond hope, that this pandemic has been put to bed over yeah. the next 10 years, if not next year, because we have got to get together to celebrate our 100th yeah. anniversary, That's the which truth. is right around the corner. Yeah. 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 Well, well, the world has changed, but hopefully before long it'll it'll make a turn hey, here. So. We have a perfect opportunity right now. We've not done the lightning round with Sandy. Oh, well, yes. yeah, we can do the lightning yes. round. Yes, it's my favorite part. So, all right, I get the first question. Who's your hero? Who is my hero? God, i got to pick just one because there's so many. Yeah, just one. I bet I know. Helen Voss. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Helen Voss. Helen Voss. We need to do a podcast on Helen Voss. I I certainly have some information. Oh, my God. Helen Voss was uh, program director when I was a student here between 1967 and 1969. And she was my mentor, became my dearest friend. And um, I really credit her for many of the things I've been able to do. So she was my hero. I still have letters from Helen Voss because Mm -hmm. my daughter was diagnosed with diabetes right after I graduated Mm -hmm. from school. And she wrote me some really, really nice letters. Yeah. Hmm. She was a great person. She was also a a former president Mm -hmm. of AANA. Yep. We need to do one on her for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sandy, what's your favorite word? My favorite word. <laughs> Can you say it here? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think so. <laughs> my favorite word when I'm fishing and that marlin breaks the line, yeah. or my favorite word, <laughs> or my favorite word, Lord, I don't know, happiness, peace. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yeah. Good. Yes. That's good. I like that. So when you feel fear, which I'm not sure you do, what do you do first? When I feel fear, 
See, I don't think you do. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I've never. <laughs> fear, you've got to take, if it's just a millisecond, to reassess mm-hmm. and to figure mm-hmm. out what you're going to do. And that's whether you're in the operating room. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have felt fear yeah. in the well, operating room. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Terror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You just, uh, Jeremy Box breathes, you know. Yeah. How many? How much do you count? One, two, three. One, two, three. What you can do, do three or six. Okay. I, yeah. Depends. Sometimes I'll do three. Sometimes I'll do mm-hmm. six. Yeah. So. All right, Sandy. If you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would it be? Mm. One person alive or dead. I sure would like to meet Gertrude Fife. Yes. Wouldn't that be awesome? Mm-hmm. Or Agatha. Or Agatha. Yeah. And some of those pioneers of distinction. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ask them, how have we done? <laughs> <laughs> I may not want the answer. I think they would be proud. I hope so. So if you had a year left to live, what would you do? A year left to live? Well, I'd get in every fishing tournament I possibly could <laughs> in the world. I mean, if you knew you had a year left to live, you could spend all of your money that's right going all over the world chasing the blue marlin Mm -hmm. rather than spending in a nursing home wouldn't that be awesome (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. i like that i like that well sandy as always wonderful job thank you for being here and you you came on such short notice this morning just popped over to the office and you're always accommodating, and we always appreciate you, so thank you. Well, it's great to be seeing you again. It's been two months, you know. I know. It's been too long. Yeah, it has. And we have some others we really need to get recorded very yeah, soon. we do. Good, good topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Listeners, wait till you see this list of these great topics we're going to be taping soon. Yeah. It's exciting. Well, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with... Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. Did you? I was going to let you say my name for a second. (laughs) I thought maybe Alzheimer's was setting in. (laughs) Oh well, you know, Sharon, we want this show to grow, right? Absolutely. And we're in the top fifty medical podcasts. So, Sharon, as I always ask you, what are the best ways our listeners can help us to grow this show? Like us subscribe to us you know what i just learned something else in the algorithm if you leave us a review uh, leave a good review make it positive (laughs) it pushes us up the more reviews that we have believe it or not the algorithm pushes us up higher so if you will leave a review we'll be closer to number one medical podcast in the country which is our goal yeah, yeah yeah so help us help us Yep. Do that, please. Very well said. Ah. All right. Until next time. It's a wrap. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. 
He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.